lessons. There's a lot of material we have not covered, so I'm going to try to pick up the pace a little bit uh, this morning. But uh, I want to uh, help us uh, in learning how to handle our humanity. Uh, Humanity is this flesh that we're all covered with. And whether you like it or not, everybody has humanity that we have to deal with. Not only do we have to deal with our own humanity, we have to deal with the humanity of others. And uh, so we're going to, uh, in the next several weeks, uh, this morning, I hope to finish this first part. Next, starting next Sunday, uh, we're going to start a whole different uh, branch of this. It's going to be a lot more fun. It won't be as uh, intense or uh, seemingly as heavy. And we're going to have a lot of fun with it. So you definitely want to be here next Sunday. But uh, last week, we talked about uh, the three mindsets that we get into when we start dealing with sin and we start dealing with our humanity. The first one uh, is this mindset that people come up with that says, I'm not doing anything that's really sinful. It's not really all that bad. Uh, and, and we talked about that, that how it really doesn't matter what you think about if, if something that you're doing is, is right or wrong. Uh, it's what the Bible says. So if the Bible says it's wrong, then it's wrong, regardless of your opinion of it. And uh, we're, not, we're, not, uh, we're not going to make heaven our home based on our opinion of what we think is right or wrong. It's what the Bible says, and strictly what the Bible says. And uh, so we talked about that, and then we talked about the, the people that don't want to leave sin yet. They, want it, they don't want to quit doing the things they know full good and well is wrong. And uh, there are things in our lives that, that uh, are not right, but yet they are fun. And uh, so we talked about that. And then we talked about those that say that, well, I don't believe what the Bible says uh, about sin. Even though it gets demonstrated uh, time after time in, in the lives of people, uh, amazingly enough, the people around us don't learn from others' mistakes. And uh, so we don't believe what the Bible says about sin, although the Bible is truth and always has been. So why is it then that we sin? Why is it that we get caught in the same things over and over and over? Why is it that we continually fail? We're wrapped in this stuff called humanity. It's called flesh. And flesh is a enemy or battles almost constantly with the spirit. Very few times are both of them in agreement. So the flesh gives us, uh, is a huge source of our trouble. Now, we always like to, and, and I've, you know, everybody likes to do this, and everybody's heard this statement, the devil made me do it. Anybody ever heard of that? especially from kids. Has anybody ever said that? I got a few that are real honest, and that is awesome. Unfortunately, to take away that excuse, the devil can't make you do anything. I know that just revolutionized your thinking, and some of you it took away your excuse. 
But the devil can't make you do anything. All he can do is tempt you. We are free moral agents. You have the right to not sin. You have the ability to not sin because we are free moral agents. You also have the ability to not serve God. So where God doesn't force you to do good, the devil can't force you to do bad. Isn't that amazing? So all of the good that we do in our life is not being forced on us by God. You're doing that because you choose to do it. You choose to live right. You choose to submit to God. You choose to submit to the Word of God. Also, for all of the wrong that we do, it is a choice. It is a choice that you make. So nobody can say, well, I was forced to go do this by the devil. It just don't work that way. So this morning, we're going to, uh, again, get into the, the things of, uh, the thing about sin and talk about sin a little bit more uh, before next week. But one of the reasons, and the reason why I believe that people fall into sin or com- continually commit the same sins and fall into the same traps over and over is that we don't see sin the way that God sees sin. We see degrees of sin. God just sees sin. We punish based on the, on the degree of transgression. Look at our court systems. If all you did was steal a candy bar, then you're likely just to get a ticket, slap on the wrist, or nothing. Maybe depending on your history. But yet, if you go out and steal a car, it's a different story. We punish based on the degree of sin, on how severe the sin is. All God saw was stealing. And to him, it's hard to understand, but to him, it is the same. You're just as guilty of the law if you steal a candy bar as if you steal a car. When the Bible says thou shalt not steal, it meant steal. So you're just as guilty of the, uh, of the law, of transgressing the law, no matter what you steal. And so we apply this courtroom concept to our relationship with God. Well, all I did was a little white lie to the boss. It's okay. I called in sick, and I'm not sick. I have called in and told my boss before, I'm using a sick day today. Are you sick? No. Just using a sick day. Okay. I didn't lie and tell him I'm sick. So if you, y'all are staring at me now. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Getting in on this dangerous territory now. But Brother Merrill, you don't understand my boss. So if you lie to your boss and call in sick when you're not sick, is that not lying? You're just as guilty of doing that as if you go in front of a judge in a federal court case and lie and tell him I didn't see it or I did see something that you didn't see. Or if you were to do something else or or to go to your parent and tell them uh, a lie. You're just as guilty. It doesn't matter what it is. If you lie, you lie. And, And as far as God's concerned, it is sin. So we cannot take this courtroom concept and apply it to our relationship with God.
It just doesn't work. There's no degree of sin. So if we see sin the, God, the way God sees it, it would change our mind uh, about sin. Does that mean you're going to be perfect? Who's perfect in here? I'm glad. Nobody raised their hand. I'm close. Ask Sister Christy. She'll tell you I'm pretty close to being perfect. <laughs> I am just kidding, too. Don't ask her that, please. She'll, she will tell you all of my faults and failures. So what does the Bible t- uh, say? How does God see sin? And we're going to uh, discuss that today. Proverbs 5, 1 through 5, uh, the Bible is giving us uh, uh, a mindset that God has towards sin, trying to explain to us uh, what sin does and how it ends. The Bible says, My son, attend unto my wisdom, and bow thine ear to my understanding, that thou mayest regard discretion, and that thy lips may, be, may keep knowledge. For the lips of a strange woman drop as honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, and her steps take hold on hell. So what is the Bible saying? that, that uh, And it's not just talking about a female, but, but this, this scripture is conceptual and talking about sin, that, that it, may, it may taste good for a moment, and it may be pleasant for a moment, and there's a seduction of sin that, that brings you in. Uh, we talked about last week, and I, I mentioned it, it's the, it's the counterfeit kingdom that Satan brings out. It's the counterfeit kingdom that Satan showed Jesus on the mountain of, temp, of temptation. He showed him the kingdoms of the world, but he didn't show him the gutters. He didn't show him the heartbreak. He didn't show him the heartache. All he showed was the sparkling and the glitter. And this is what the Bible's talking about in Proverbs, that, that this, this sin... It may, it may seem to be sweet as a honeycomb. It may seem to be smooth as oil. Maybe, maybe everything it looks okay. Maybe you think it won't hurt you, but the end of it is as bitter as wormwood. It's sharp as a two-edged sword. A, a, a two-edged sword cuts on all sides. And that's, what's going, that's what happens when sin's done. So it may seem... Uh, it, sin may be seducing by saying, well, it's not that bad. Oh, this is great. But keep in mind the end of it. Keep in mind where it will lead you. Keep in mind what will happen in the very end. It is a, uh, it's a seductress. It promises satisfaction. Uh, I was reading several years ago, and they were talking about, I was reading an article about rock and roll music, and uh, it says one one of the addictive things about rock and roll music is that it never, it never satisfies the listener. Now, I am not a music scholar. In fact, I'm not really a music person, but but they say these, these people that are much smarter than I am that teach music on very high levels say that, that rock and roll music never satisfies the listener. It builds you up, it builds you up, but it never reaches a crescendo. It never reaches a peak. 
It always stops short. And so you will listen some more to another song in order to try to get to the crescendo, to try to get to the peak, to try to get to the climax of what the music is trying to do. And, and that's why it is so seductive and that's why it's so addictive. It's because you, it leaves you wanting more because it never satisfies you. If there is any kind of music that I really enjoy, it's classical music. I have, this past Friday night, I was doing some work around the house, and I have a lot of music on my computer at home, and so I had some playing, and much to the chagrin of my children. And uh, even a lot, I think, Christy gets sick of hearing it. But I love classical music, but one of the things about classical music, and uh, it's not as popular is because it does reach a crescendo. It does reach the peak. It satisfies the listener. And if you take a piece of music like, and and most all of you have heard um, of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, when you play that and it builds and it builds and it builds and and the drums are beating, and and if I played it tonight, uh, this morning, all of you would say, oh yeah, I recognize that. When it builds and builds at the end, finally there's this explosion of, of cymbals and horns and, and strings, and, and it's, it's, but it's, it's over. And then it just slowly kind of dies back down until it's over. And the reason is because it's satisfying. It's, it's reaching uh, its peak. Sin, however, does not satisfy. It's seductive, but it never brings fulfillment to your life, so it leaves you wanting more. It's how sin works. It can be, it is a seductor. It can be very deceiving. Uh, it will seduce you and bring you into its grasp, but then it's very difficult uh, to get out. Proverbs 23, 29 and 30 through 32 is an incredible scripture uh, to, to, to apply here. Who hath woe? Everybody know what woe is? You remember in Revelation where the angel uh, flies over the earth during the middle of the tribulation, during the middle of all this wrath and the trumpets and the seals and, and the vials and all this and says woe? There's five woes. In other words, poor you people. Poor you because you're reaping it right now. So when the Bible says who hath woe, Poor you. It, it is a you are you are in a dire situation, a dire strait uh, at that time. So who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, that they go to seek mixed wine. Look not upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself all right. At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. What an incredible scripture for those that, never mind. What an incredible scripture. 
it's not only is it talking about alcohol. The scripture is definitely talking about uh, the indulgence of alcohol. It looks good in the cup. It looks good when it's sitting there and it's all deep red. The wine is red. Look not when it's red. It's beautiful. Don't look at it when it's looking good sitting in that bottle and it's bubbling and it's sparkling and it's, it looks so inviting. Because at the end of it, it bites like a serpent and it stings like an adder. Wine is a mocker, or, but also is sin a mocker. It mocks us. It looks great. It looks like celebration. It looks like joy. It looks like happiness. It looks like peace in the bottle. Marketing and marketers for our large corporations in America do a great job of marketing Budweiser. I, at one time, have watched the Super Bowl just to see the commercials. And I will tell you, I'll be honest, some of the best commercials I've ever seen were made by Budweiser Corporation. They can be funny. They can be entertaining. But the end of what what they're showing you is not the reality of what happens. You say, what are you talking about? All they show you is, man, there's a bunch of 20-something friends, and they are hanging out, and they all have this big jar of Budweiser or whatever you call that thing, and it's got water running down it, and it's just, you look good. And it's cold beer coming out the ice, and, I mean, it's just beautiful. They do spend so much money making that stuff look just right. But you see what they don't show you. What they don't show on the commercials is what happens after you drink that. See, they show you the people standing at the counter who are not actually even drinking. They're just holding it. What they don't show you is the guy laying in a big pool of vomit. It's kind of disgusting, ain't it? They don't show you there's a guy at work that almost every morning, literally, not joking, he comes in, the first place he goes is to the bathroom and throws up for 30 minutes. But I don't show you that. Now, he, I've asked him point blank, do you think that's fun? No. So why do you do it? He said, because it's fun getting there. They don't show you that part. They don't show you the blood that's on the ground because of a fist fight. They don't show you trips to the emergency room over an argument or a fight. They don't show you the, the, all of that that goes on. But that is just the beginning. Keep on with that life. What happens down the road? a few months or a few years down the road when you look and the job has been lost. Look at the marriages that have fallen apart. You don't think it's a problem, why don't you go and ask a kid whose dad came in last night mad at the world and drunk and beat the fire out of him for no reason. 
If you don't think it's a problem, why don't you ask the wife who just got beat up? It has, there's fangs that bite. And sin does this to people. When, when, uh, when sin begins, it doesn't look so bad. But as you progress, it only gets worse and worse. But Brother Merrill, it's not going to happen to me. The Bible says it has fangs. It's going to bite you at some point. It's going to happen. There's nothing that you can do to stop it. Sin is not your friend. It's not going to help you. It's not going to encourage you. It's not going to solidify your marriage. It's not going to help your marriage. It's not going to benefit your life. This is not going to happen. And it doesn't matter who you are. So then we take this a step further. What about the husband or the wife or the kids that you walk up to whose spouse or their parents have been killed by a drunk driver? Ask them if it's a problem. Christy and I were going uh, somewhere yesterday and we passed a billboard on the side of the road and you know they're, that I think it's MAD, that organization MAD is putting them up of pictures of people killed by drunk drivers and there was one of them here in Baton Rouge that uh, little boy a uh, little baby was killed, in ba- was killed in Louisiana and I don't even think he was a year old yet killed by a drunk driver is going sin does not benefit so, uh, so in, in this particular scripture is talking about the alcohol but, but you can apply it to sin itself it doesn't matter what you bring into your life that is sin it is going to cause you trouble is going to cause problems. There is an end to it. Proverbs six twenty five through twenty eight. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread. An adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Can man take fire in his bosom, and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? Can you do it? Can you live a life of sin? Can you live contrary to the word of God and expect not to get burned? Does anybody think they can accomplish that? Sin will burn. Is going to destroy, is going to damage, is going to cause pain, is going to cause suffering. The Bible is saying that if you will, if you follow after sin, if you're seduced by it, if you, uh, and if you bring it into you, it's like the, the drink, if you drink it, if you ingest it, can you walk on fire and not get burned? Brother Merrill, what I do is not all that bad I know we're not going to hoop and holler in a Bible study like this but everybody at least smile nobody even feels like smiling right now 
if we bring it in, if we ingest it, it's going to burn. You have no other choice. You have no other option. You cannot live that life and it not burn you. You cannot live a sinful life and not be destroyed. You're not strong enough. You're not brave enough. You're not good looking enough. You're not rich enough. You're not powerful enough. It will happen. Sin destroys. Sin breaks down. Sin tears up. Sin uh, breaks apart. Homes are broken apart. Relationships are broken apart. Marriages are broken apart. Parents and children are broken apart. All of this happens because of sin. And there's nobody, you're not strong enough, your families are not strong enough, I'm not strong enough to stop it from happening. Proverbs says, can you walk on hot coals and not be burned? You will reap the benefits of it. That's why the Word of God never tires. It never quits telling us and giving us warnings about sin. That's why the grace of God is so awesome. That's why the mercy of God is so great. It's because God knows where this will lead us, and he wants us out. God doesn't want us to destroy, to be destroyed. God doesn't want us to be damaged. God doesn't want us to fall. God doesn't want us to fail. God doesn't want us to live this life of heartache and pain and, and, and suffering. God doesn't want that. So the Word of God never gets tired of telling us how to avoid it, how to get out of it, how to recognize it, how to stop uh, these things, and how to engage God. Did you know the mercy of God is renewed every morning? Has anybody heard that scripture in Psalms where the mercy of God is renewed every morning? Do you know? It's, and I've said this so many times, but do you know what's incredible about that? Is that somewhere on the face of this earth right now is sunrise. And so because on the face of the earth and it rotates around the sun like this at a 28 degree angle, somewhere... 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year on the face of this earth at the sunrise. Did you know that? So when the sun's setting for us, some 12 hours in front of us, wherever that place is on the earth, is sunrise. And because God doesn't say, or the Bible doesn't say that the, that the mercy of God is renewed every morning in this time zone, God's mercy is in a perpetual state of renewing. So as soon as God extends mercy, it's renewed. As soon as God gives out mercy, it's renewed. That's how come God can never run out of mercy. He never runs out of grace. And I've had people say, but Brother Merrill, you don't know what I've done. Brother Merrill, you don't understand how many times I've done this, how many times I have failed in this. God has mercy. God has grace. You cannot exhaust it. You cannot say, well, then uh, God, he just can't have mercy on me today because I've, I've done this, uh, I've been there too many times. It doesn't matter. God has mercy and grace far more than, than we can know. 
The Bible does not get tired of telling us, telling us, and telling us, first of all, how to avoid sin, but second of all, how to be redeemed from sin. We always, we always have that option. Proverbs 6, 20 through 23. The Bible says, My son, keep thy father's commandment, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Now, first of all, I believe that he was talking about your uh, biological father and mother, but also this scripture could apply to your heavenly father and to your church mother. The church is where you're born again. It becomes your mother. So, so what the Bible is saying is, is, not, is not only about your, your earthly mother, your dad and mom, but he's talking about uh, also your heavenly father and your church mother. Forsake not the commandments. Forsake not the law. Bind them continually upon thy heart. Tie them around thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light. And reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Now notice 23. Verse 23. The commandment is a lamp. What does a lamp do? It illuminates where you're at. The commandments can show you where you're at. It can show you where you're at in your relationship with God. It can show you where you're at in spirituality. The commandments become a lamp. They illuminate where we are at and show us where we're at. also shows us the dangers and the pitfalls in the area that we're in. Isn't that incredible? I hope you think so. But then notice the law is a light. What does a light do? It shines where you're going. Headlights. Headlights just don't show you where you're at. They show you the road in front of you. They show you the path that you're traveling. And that's what the law does. That's what the law does. So where God can show us The commandments can show us where we're at. The law of the church can show us where we're going. And it is, the uh, Proverbs is saying, keep these things. Bind them around you. Put them, uh, put them, let them bind them continually in your heart. Tie them around your neck. I don't mean go get a rope and tie it real tight. And If some of you ladies do that, don't ask your husbands to help you tighten it up a little bit. It might just keep going. But meditate on these things. Allow them to get into your heart. Allow them into your mind. It has to be both places. Because if you put a commandment just simply in your mind, and there's no heart, you'll do it out of duty, never really wanting to do it. And what eventually will happen is once you get something else in your mind, you'll get rid of the commandment. But if you put it in your heart and not in your mind, you'll say, well, you know, that's great, but I'm just not going to do it because I don't want to. It needs to be 
in both places. And that's what the writer is telling us, to put these things inside of us. If we engage them, if we allow them inside of us, if we apply them, then when we go, it will lead us. If it's in your mind, if it's in your heart, the commandments of God, the law of the church, if it's in, if it's in us, it will lead us. Who wants to be led by God? Everybody. And he's telling us how to do it. You can't say, well, I don't know how to be led by God. Here's the Bible is telling us how to do it. When it sleeps, it'll keep you. It keeps you safe. It offers protection. When you're sleeping, when you're not aware, when you, I, I am a light sleeper, I, can, I hear things that go bump in the night. But when you're sleeping in those occasions when I get sound sleep, freight train can roll through the bedroom, never know it. And so the Bible is saying that when you're not cognizant, when you're not aware, when you're not even sure of what's going on around you, the law and the commandments will keep you. It will protect you. So they will guide you and then protect you. And when you're awake, it'll talk to you. So when you're awake, when you are aware, these things will speak to you. It's true. It is absolutely true. We must put the Word of God, we must put it in our heart and in our mind. You have to. You have to do it. The Word of God is an antidote to sin. It is an antidote to those things in our lives that destroy us. Truth in the Word of God can save you from destruction. It's true. That is a very true statement. The truths of the Word of God can save you from destruction. How many people have we seen, and if you've been around for any length of time, no doubt you've seen it, of people whose, whose lives, whose homes have been destroyed. If they, if they had just applied the truth of the Word of God, it wouldn't have happened. There are principles in the Word of God that can take and pull souls out of an of a, of a eternity lost and pull them into God if we just apply the principles of the Word of God. But they have to be applied. They have to be used. You can... In... There's a, it's a very sad story, and I don't know when and where it happened. I, I apologize that I, I can't remember exactly where it was, but there was an apartment building, I believe it was in New York City, possibly Chicago, that caught on fire. And somebody, they found uh, a person's body. They had burned uh, in this fire, and they were real close to a fire escape. Right out the window was a fire escape. You know the ladders where you, the staircases you can go down outside the building? They're made out of metal. There's a reason, so they don't catch on fire. The reason this person couldn't get to that fire escape is they had nailed their window shut because they were scared to death of a burglar coming in. The, the, The tragedy 
is that they were so close to a way of escape, but yet was destroyed. You can burn to death within literally within feet of a fire escape. You know that if you were to be bit by a snake and you had antivenom sitting on the shelf, you could die of a snake bite if you don't apply the antivenom? It is a crazy, crazy, crazy concept. But if you get snake bite and you have any venom in your hand, it doesn't do you a bit of good holding it. If it's a pill, you better take it. If it's a shot, even though I hate them, I think I'd have to try anyway. You have to apply. You have to apply them to your life. Who's had a headache this week and got some Tylenol or something? If you have a headache and you say, man, it's just pounding, and you grab that bottle of ibuprofen and jump three of them in your hand, does your headache go away? Why? You got ibuprofen? You have to take it. Isn't that crazy? That's just so neat to me. That's revolutionary right there. That's, that's just, it is the same thing with the Word of God. If you want your life to get better with the Word of God, it's not just sufficient to hold it. You can't just put it on your coffee table. You can't just sit it on the bookshelf and say, man, I have the Bible. My life's on the, on the mend. We're, we're headed to improvement right here. In fact, it's not even good enough just to read it. You have to apply it. You have to put it into your life. And you say, well, how do I do that? If the Bible says to do, not to do, to act, not to act, to think, not to think a certain way, then just do it. It's crazy. I know that sounds nuts, but it's true. If the Bible says, you know, in concept, don't go beat up your spouse. Guess what? If you don't beat up your spouse, your life will get better. If the Bible says, thou shalt not steal, you'll do a lot better off if you don't steal. Because if you do steal, contrary to the word of God, you'll probably go to jail at some point, at best. There was two guys, I got I to gotta hurry, there was two guys that I grew up with and when I was a teenager. And uh, this is a, a true story. They got into the drug scene and uh, they started robbing houses to finance their habit. And if I call these two guys' names, there would be people in here that would know them. These two guys had cased out a house in Clinton. They wanted to break into this house and was one man that lived there, an older gentleman. And uh, they would watch, they watched his pattern for a while and eventually decided when he would be gone. And sure enough, when they showed up, for the actual break-in, uh, his truck was missing, and there was no lights on in the entire house. And so they felt very secure in breaking into his house, and they did. However, what they didn't know was that the old man, the reason his truck wasn't there is he had loaned it to his nephew. And he was inside. And he was one of those people that wasn't scared of the dark. He didn't necessarily need a lot of lights on. And he was in his living room with just a small lamp on reading a book when he heard them breaking into his, into his house. So he turned the lamp 
off. Now, I know what I would do. I start flipping lights on, turn the radio on, anything, make noise to get them out. He wanted them to come inside because he had one in ten. He was going to kill them. And this one of the boys that was involved in this told me out of his own mouth that they walked inside the house and as, when both of them got pretty much into the living room area, the old man did flip a light on and he was standing there holding a shotgun. And he said, uh, I want to let you know that tonight will be the last night of your lives. I'm going to kill both of you for breaking into my house. And then he stopped and he said, no. He said, actually, I want you to go out on the front yard, on the front lawn. And he did. Uh, <laughs> something about a shotgun will persuade you to do what the holder is saying. And so they went out and they laid down in the front yard and he stood over them and he got his cordless phone and he called 911 and the Clinton Police Department showed up. And the sheriff himself, whoever it was at the time, showed up and got both of these guys and he arrested them. And he said, do you know whose house you broke into tonight? No, sir. They said, boys, it is unbelievable that you're even alive. This man has been through so much stuff in his life. He has fought in battles you can't even imagine, and he likes to kill people. And you have broke into the wrong man's house. And so the sheriff asked the man, why didn't you just shoot him? like we figured you would. He said, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, I went to church and I got my life right with God. And he said, God wouldn't want me to kill him. It's a kind of a neat story. Save these boys' lives. But sin will catch up with you. Sin will get a hold of you. And um, the word of God has to be applied. That man applied it that night. Those boys didn't. But it had to be applied. And uh, so if we can take the, the word of God, if you'll take the word of God and apply it to your life, not just read it, not just believe it, not just think about it, but actually engage it and apply it to your life, it'll be a life preserver in this world. It'll be a life preserver for you. Praise the Lord. Let's stand this morning. God bless you. Thank you for your attention. And uh, don't go anywhere. We'll start our second service in about